is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Bet Lucas. I have five crazy kids, a full-time career in a mostly male industry, and I've been on a health journey where I've lost over 40 pounds. On this podcast, you will find encouragement for your own unique journey. You'll be provided tools to help you not just survive this life, but thrive in the areas of health, career, and family. So come live your big, bold life with me. Are you ready? I sure am. Hello, welcome to Living Your Big, Bold Life podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas. Today's guest shares his story about truly being at a dead end on his health journey, and yet he made some bold changes that truly brought him to the healthiest place in his adult life. Graham has lost over 132 pounds. And yes, his story does involve intermittent fasting. And yet, what I think he highlights and highlights so well is that he had to change many of his destructive behaviors and addictions and address those first before diving into IF. Behaviors like binge drinking, sugar addiction, closet eating, and junk food. He shares how it wasn't always easy to do so. And yet, his health now is a testimony to how those bold changes changed his life forever. He also emphasizes the importance of mindset, the importance of loving ourselves more than loving our addictions. He provides some really tactical tips on fasting and diet in general. I know you will hear in Graham's voice and his story that he is truly no longer at a dead end. He has hit his highway and is cruising right along. Ironically, that is the name of Graham's new podcast, The Fasting Highway, which he will share about more today. I know Graham's story, whether you are a faster or not, will leave you feeling empowered, inspired, and definitely with some new tools for your tool belt. Let's get to Graham. Oh, Graham, we are just so excited to have you here on Living Your Big Bold Life all the way from Perth, Australia. Welcome. Thank you, Bet. I'm excited to be here. And uh, how are you going? You know, we're approaching the due date of baby number six. So everyone is like on pins and needles, but in a good way. We're just excited. And the kids are all like, is the, they call it the born baby. And especially my three-year-old is the born baby coming. But we are, we're thrilled and we're doing really well here in Washington. The, we're a little smoky because the fires have still, still going on, but they have definitely improved. So that's what we're kind of praying and hoping for and all else is good. How's everything in Perth? Yeah, we're going well. We're just coming into our warmer months here now and we have a very warm summer here and we know all about bushfires and I just wanted to pass on my regards to everybody affected by the fires there and I hope it's over soon for you all. Graham, I have been so looking forward to this interview because your story is just so powerful in so many different ways. And I would just love for you to have the listeners hear a little bit about your background. And then please just let's just dive into your health journey. And I know our listeners are going to just be so inspired and really touched by the amazing transformation, not just physically for you, but all the other kind of non-scale victories in your life. So please share. Okay. Well, Basically, bet I guess I've been a pretty obese guy my whole life, really, from about the age of 14. Up until then, I was a pretty normal sort of a child. I wasn't an unhealthy child, but I certainly became a very unhealthy adult, that's for sure. And I was a pretty obese teenager, and I suffered a fair amount of bullying and that sort of thing at school. And then up to the age of 19, I sort of just got more obese. And, and then I got struck down with an illness called rheumatic fever, and which very nearly killed me. And When I got that illness, I lost a terrific amount of weight and I was in hospital for some six or seven or eight weeks back then in in 1982. And then um, when I came out of hospital, I hit the ground running. I'd lost all this weight. My my life sort of changed. I came out of my shell a lot and I, I went into a sort of bit of a hard party mode as you do in your 20s. And through my 30s and 40s, I continued to gain weight and, you know, through binge eating and alcohol consumption and being on the party circuit and traveling a lot as you do. But my abusive behavior with food and alcohol was pretty much out of control. 
I was never an alcoholic, but I was definitely a social binge drinker. I was a life of the party type of guy, a bit of a wild child, I suppose. And But one of the biggest issues that I started to develop was closet eating. Uh, I was always stashing away food, sneaking food. Sometimes in the middle of the night, I'd get up and the share house I used to live in when I was in my 20s, the joke was my nickname was the fridge. I was was always in it. And uh, anyway, so sugar was a a real go-to for me. I I couldn't keep out of the bakeries, the pies, the cakes, the slices, you name it. So that's pretty much how I became obese, Bet. They say you are what you eat, and that certainly fits me to a T and I have no one else to blame but myself. But I'll just move it forward a bit to about the end of 2017 came and the real catalyst for me to change came after a complete binge fest in Sydney. Uh, My in-laws live in Sydney and we went over there for a week over Christmas, uh, New Year 2017, and I did nothing else but eat and drink for a week. And I came to the end of that week and I was so full, I thought I was going to explode. I seriously did. And I got onto the plane the next day. I'll always remember it. January the 1st, 2018, seat 44G, which was always my favorite, and sitting next to my wife and taking up half of her seat, as I always did because I was so big. And the catalyst came when I couldn't do up my seatbelt on the flight. And I said to my wife, this is no good. I, I can't get any bigger. I've got to stop. I've got to stop this behavior, that abusive behavior I have with food. It just has to stop. So, and I looked at her and the love for her was shining through and she just looked at me and she said, I don't care how big you are or how small you are, I'll always love you. And I thought, I I can't let this woman down. If I don't do something, I'm going to die. So in the next five hours, I almost self-talked myself into it. And I remember walking off that plane so determined to change. And I think obese people, every New Year's Eve, they make these you know, New Year's resolutions, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, but they never do. And um, we always slip back. But there was something about the determination I had at this particular time that seemed different. And anyway, my wife had bought this book called A Lifeless Sugar, which was by a New Zealand lady called Amanda Tiffin, which I never really took much notice of. And I chucked it away with all the other self-help books, get rich quick books into the drawer as you do. And and then I actually pulled it out when I got home and I knew fast food was a big issue for me. And I started looking through this sugar book and it just shocked me, the amount of sugar that was in food and a lot of the food I was eating. And I just thought, I am a sugar addict. There's no other way to put it. And all the favorite foods that I was eating, they were the ones that were highest in sugar. And to tell you the truth, I watched a movie called That Sugar Film that night. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but anyone that's ever got a problem with sugar, if that doesn't start making you think about your sugar problems, then nothing will. That is a mind-blowing thing to watch. There's also a documentary that I watched called Is Sugar the You Fat? And it really convinced me that I had a big problem with sugar and I knew I had to stop. And I sort of thought, how am I going to do that? And the only way I was going to do it, Bet, was just cutting it cold, cold turkey. And so basically on that day, the 1st or 2nd of January 2018, I ceased my sugar addiction I ceased my fast food addiction, cold turkey. I stopped going to the fast food drive throughs I stopped going to the bakeries. I just stopped. And then from that moment, after about two or three days, I went through a, a brutal withdrawal. And I'm, anyone out there that's ever gone through sugar addiction withdrawal will know what I'm talking about. The blinding headaches, the hangry moments. It was almost like being tormented and just these voices screaming at you to go down the road and get some sugar or get some fast food. And I even spent two days in bed with a doona over my head. That's how bad it was. But yeah, I started to feel a bit better after a couple of weeks and I got through that. And then a few weeks later, I, that's when I discovered intermittent fasting by mistake. Oh, wow. So I hadn't realized that part of your story. And I think it's really powerful that you were able to kind of realize some of your food addictions prior to finding intermittent fasting. Because similar in my journey, I think intermittent fasting, I took too easier because of the fact that I had already addressed some of the things that were kind of preventing my health journey from moving forward. Similarly, sugar and and carbs and especially the highly processed ones. And I can so just see you in seat 44G to have your wife just be like, I just love you no matter what. And to feel like probably well, she's behind me, but I'm doing this. Like I am doing this. And so how did you find intermittent fasting? 
Well, funny enough, just by mistake, Bet, I was surfing around on the internet one day and looking for weight loss stuff because as I started to feel better and just touching back on the sugar addiction and when I addressed it, I, that wasn't something I did deliberately because I didn't know about intermittent fasting at that stage. But in hindsight, I strongly suggest to people that I help with sugar addiction and fast food issues to get those issues out of the way first. Because if you start doing something like intermittent fasting, it's a pretty radical change. And if you carry addiction into that, it's difficult because you're dealing with a double whammy. And if you're still addicted, even if you're only eating once or twice a day, that's still going to be a problem for you. And I think it's a really great thing to try and address that problem. But when I discovered intermittent fasting, I searched around on the internet and I found this thing called Nomad, one meal a day lifestyle. And I thought, who on earth eats only one time a day? That's just crazy. Like, no, no one does that ever. Right, right. You know what I mean? I thought it was just nuts. It just sounded so ridiculous. And um, anyway, I then I discovered Delay Don't Deny, the Facebook group, and uh, I stumbled onto that and I read about it. And then I got hold of Jin's book, Delay Don't Deny. And when I read that book, the simplicity of intermittent fasting, it sounded easy for one. And it was something that resonated with me in the sustainability that all I had to do was delay to what time I was eating each day. And I was feeling pretty good by this stage. I'd sort of overcome the sugar thing and the fast food thing. But how I sort of initially overcame the sugar was I started learning about what sugar was in food, Bet, and I really put a lot of time into that. I learned how to read nutrition labels. I spent a couple of days in supermarkets. I went through every product known to mankind and just teaching myself about which foods were the worst for me. And funny enough, Bet, the supermarkets for me, it became quite easy because I learned that if you just went around the outside of the supermarkets through the fruit and veg section, then you went to the meat section and you went to the dairy section and you avoided the aisles because the aisles was where the damage was being done with the high processed food and the added sugars. And, you know, the chips, the lollies, the sodas, they were all down the aisles. We're around the outside. Usually you had the fresh stuff. So that's where I started to shop. And that's basically how I started to change my food intake and what I was buying and bringing home. So that's a really useful help for anyone out there that's trying to cut down on sugar is start shopping around the outside. Well, I just... One, I think it's so powerful that coming from someone like you who has had such amazing results with intermittent fasting, but that you acknowledge that you addressed your addictions first. And I do see a lot of people who jump into intermittent fasting, haven't really addressed some of their food addictions, and a lot of them really struggle. It it, it is much harder for them. So I love that. And two, I love your advice when shopping. If we could just avoid those aisles, it's so simple. Just, Just stay on the outside of that grocery store. We'd all be so much better off. So Graham, had you lost weight prior to intermittent fasting or were you just feeling better when you kind of had been giving up sugar? What was your kind of progression? I sort of started off at 360 pounds on the 1st of January around there. I lost about 20 pounds, I suppose, by the time I came to intermittent fasting. And then what happened was when I read Jin's book, Delay, Don't Deny, I started off with a 23-in-1 protocol straight off the bat. And I pretty much did that every day. And then I just thought, I didn't know anything different but the clean fast because I'd read about that. So I clean fasted right from the start. And I want to really stress, I can't express enough how much the clean fast makes a difference. And I think because I clean fasted right from day one, that that really helped me. And the fasting itself, I did fairly easily. I never really had a problem fasting through the day. I think it was more about learning you know, what to eat in my window and how to eat. And what intermittent fasting really did for me was it started curing those abusive behaviors I had with food. It taught me about mindful eating. And then as I got further into my intermittent fasting journey, I became a real food snob bit mm-hmm. and um, totally opposite to what I was, bipolar. And uh, I seeked higher quality food. And for me, in that window, I had a saying, if it's not worthy, it's not worthy and it's not worthy for me because I am worthy. And then so the food I was eating really changed and I feel like the delay don't deny part and I love the delay message, but the deny part, unfortunately for me, because I had addictions to food and sugar, 
And I knew carbs weren't working for me. And I was a real bread addict to bed. I was a loaf of bread a, a day, man, and maybe some more some days. And beer was another one. I knew that wasn't working for me. So I knew I was going to have to restrict those things, even in an intermittent fasting protocol, if I wanted to get to my wellness goals. And that's important to remember. It's okay to think, well, hey, I can eat anything and everything and have fast food four times a week. But if that's slowing your progress and you're not getting anywhere and you're getting frustrated by it, then you really need to examine, do I need to make a change and make my window worthy? Yeah, I think that is really, really important to hear because I do see a lot of people who are hoping that intermittent fasting will give them shortcuts in their diet or in their eating where, okay, well, if I just have a really, really small eating window, then I can go to McDonald's every day and I can drink all the alcohol I want and I can have all the desserts. And really, I think Graham would agree with me that the majority of people cannot do that and achieve their wellness goals and feel the best and be the best person and best version of themselves. And so I think that's really important to key in on. And I think it's really amazing that you not only made, you made so many substantial changes. And I I mean, the beer, addressing the beer, addressing kind of the bread, addressing the sugar, and then adding intermittent fasting onto that. And for those of you that are newer to intermittent fasting, Graham's protocol was a 23-1, which means he would fast for 23 hours and then he would eat within a one hour time period. And I know many of you are regular listeners, so you know what a clean fast is, but effectively a clean fast that he is referring to that is so, so important is not eating any calories or drinking any calories or having anything with even a slight hint of flavor. So you can have water, sparkling water, unflavored LaCroix, not the flavored kind. You can't have cream in your coffee. There's a lot of mixed messages out there. And Graham and so many others have had substantial success because they have stayed clean fasting and not dirty fasting, which would be like a flavored tea. Maybe it's your green tea, but it has pomegranate flavoring, or it's your coffee and it has some cream in it. That would not be clean fasting. And so you're in a 23-1 eating window Graham, what would you typically eat during that 23 and 1 and during your OMAD? Okay, well, I guess I could really say that I was almost a keto-style diet at the start because I'm a great seafood lover. Um, I'm very lucky we have an abundance of lobster and fish here that we can access. And also, I'm a great meat lover. I love steak and that sort of thing. And in the summer here, when I started, it's very hot. So we used to do a lot of salads and things like that. Uh, So yeah, I did restrict alcohol. I didn't eat much bread. And I knew fruit was an issue for me. And I know fruit has natural sugars, but it's still sugar nonetheless. And don't underestimate how fruit can upset you if you're a sugar addict and cause those cravings. When I was obese, bet I used to eat a lot of fruit. I used to probably eat three, four bananas a day. And to give you an idea of sugar addiction and when you don't even realize that you're addicted to sugar or how much sugar you're taking in, let's just start with an example of having a normal breakfast, how we're all taught to have breakfast as the most important meal of the day. So a standard breakfast for me might have been a bowl of cereal with milk, a glass of orange juice, two cups of coffee maybe, a small tub of yogurt and a banana. And that sounds pretty harmless. But when you actually dive in and look at the nutrition and find out you're actually having about 20 teaspoons of sugar before you leave the house. Wow. And then you're on your way to work, you pull in, you get another coffee. And that was my sort of MO. And that's how bad my addictions were that I used to have an hour commute to work bet and I would leave from home, drive down the road and I'd stop at the drive through I'd get myself a coffee, sometimes a toasted sandwich, whatever it may be. And then I'd drink that on the way to work and eat it on the way to work. And I always had food in my car too. And that was part of my closet eating behavior. And when I was obese and a few ever went to my car, you'd find a treasure trove of food in my car stashed everywhere. I'd have two bags of potato chips under my seat just in case I faded away on the way to work. I'd have chocolate bars in my glove box. I'd have sodas in the back. I didn't care whether they were hot or cold. I'd drink them. And the thing was, when I was 
obese and I never really took much notice of the sugar content in food or, or let alone read nutrition labels. I had no idea what was in food bed. I had no idea there was eight or 10 teaspoons in a can of Coca-Cola and I used to drink Coke like water. And I think you, if you really examine the foods that you're eating and take time to look at the nutrition, and even if it seems harmless, like just a flat white coffee at the drive through is five teaspoons of sugar before you add the sugar. I think that that is just so crazy because you'll see that in everything we eat, the fruit, even the added sugar. And, you know, I even found when I was more trying to find sugar in my diet, I also, people don't realize the amount of sugar that is the sugar in milk too, you know, that we crave that. Plus then we we add all the flavorings to our coffee. And I just find, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in the US, I mean, your breakfast that you outlined, that would be a very normal breakfast in the US. And then we wonder why we are struggling with diabetes and our health and obesity. And that is really, I mean, it's cereal, it's bread, it's yogurt with a lot of sugar in it. And like you said, bananas. So I think that that is really, really important to take a really hard look at that sugar content. Yeah, it is. And that's where you need to educate yourself if you do think you have a problem with sugar, is to sit down and and try and analyze exactly how much sugar you're having. And the World Health Organization bet their recommendation is about, I think it's eight teaspoons a day for men and six for women. And I worked it out probably at the height of my sugar addiction, any normal day, I was probably having somewhere between 80 and 90 teaspoons of sugar a day. And some days that was only just a fairly normal sort of a day because if I had four flat white coffees, that breakfast we just spoke of, and then maybe a couple of cakes or something like that or a biscuit, then straight away I was up over 50 teaspoons a day. And and when I watched that movie, that sugar film, uh, what the guy did in that, he's an Australian filmmaker, Damien Garneau, he actually worked out the sugar content and things and he'd, he'd sit there and he'd eat the actual sugar as in teaspoons. So if something had 10 10 teaspoons of sugar in it, he'd get 10 teaspoons of raw sugar and eat it. So over a six-month period, he was monitored by doctors and they found out what he actually happened to his body. And um, his results in that, he started putting on weight, his bloods went to the pack. He started off as a very fit, healthy young man. And the damage that sugar did to him over six months was amazing. And I think we really underestimate how much sugar has done to us in our lives. And I know for a fact that I was obese because of sugar. And sure, it was fast food too, but the main culprit was sugar because everything I was eating, I mean, even things like tomato sauce, which I had on everything. I thought tomato sauce was fine, bet, but it's not. Baked beans. Who likes baked beans out there? A lot of people. Yep. Eight teaspoons, eight teaspoons of sugar in one can of baked beans. So they add up. And I love that you pointed out those two items because I think that that's the other thing that we have to think about. It's not just the obvious things that are hitting us in the face with sugar. It's that we have sugar in most all our sauces, our salad dressings, our condiments, our side dishes. And I love your challenge kind of to say to maybe take like a, a week of your of your eating and see how much sugar is in everything you're eating. My, my friend did that with her girls. She has three daughters and they did kind of like this challenge where they put it in a jar. So in everything they would eat. So she was really trying to hit home the message with her children. Like we really need to be more conscious of the amount of sugar we're ingesting. And spaghetti sauce or tomato sauce was a big one that they were like, oh my goodness, I never even, you know, I thought that was healthy. (laughs) No, I thought that was a good thing. It's the it's the added sugar too, Bet. And I sort of learned very fast. If you saw something that said low fat, yeah, okay, it's low fat but they add a whole heap of sugar to it. And if you have a look at the sugar content in low-fat products, like some low-fat, uh, low-fat yogurt, for instance, you'll see it's extremely high in sugar. And the other tricky thing is for sugar addicts and people trying to cut down on sugar is if you're looking at nutrition labels, you not only have to learn the actual term sugar, but there's about 60 or 70 different names for sugar now. And the food industry has got very clever by putting all these added sugars in under different names that don't actually appear as sugar. Hey friends, it's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. 
And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out. And I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now let's get back to our guest. So now that you are farther in your journey, do you still eat kind of pretty similarly, kind of, you know, keto-ish, you would say? Or uh, how would you kind of define your eating today? And do you still do about a 23 and one Or how do you intermittent fast today? So... I'll just take you through that first year of the intermittent fasting when I started off at that 360 and then I sort of lost a bit when I cut down on the sugar and fast food cold turkey. The weight started dropping off me quite dramatically with the 23 and 1 and I lost around 100 pounds in eight months, very quick, rapid weight loss. I just totally transformed. It was amazing. And I never missed a day. Every single day, I would fast 23 and 1 and do that sort of keto style. So then I had a bit of a plateau for a couple of months where I didn't lose anything, bet nothing. And um, I thought, what am I going to do to change here? And I really believed in just trusting the process and I was feeling so good. And one of the things about fasting, it's not just about the weight loss. And I want to make this really clear to people too that don't just think about intermittent fasting as a weight loss thing. Think about it as a health plan and the weight loss is just basically a side effect. It doesn't matter whether you've got five pounds to lose or 300 pounds to lose. You will find some amazing health benefits. And just to touch on that, in the first few months, I had psoriasis bet, very chronic psoriasis on the backs of my hands, my elbows, my knees. I had it for twenty over 20 years. I'd seen three or four specialists and they said, you will never get rid of this. Within six months of me starting intermittent fasting, the psoriasis completely cleared from my body. Then what happened was my vision, I went down to get checked, get you glasses. And the guy said to me, your eyesight has improved quite markedly. And he asked me what I'd been doing if I'd changed my diet. And I said, well, yeah, I've been doing intermittent fasting. And he said, that's really uh, interesting because I've had other people come in here that have told me the same thing. And another NSV that was stacking up bet was I had very bad dental because of my abusive behavior with sugar, alcohol, fast food. My teeth weren't in very good shape. My gums were in terrible shape. They're inflamed. I used to get some bleeding sometimes. And within about six to eight months of intermittent fasting, my whole gum line uh, started to turn a nice, lovely, healthy looking pink color. My teeth were holding much better within my jawline and just my overall dental improved. And I used to have arthritis in my fingers when I'd wake up in the morning. You know how sometimes you have those aches and pains and I'd wake up and I couldn't open my hand. And then after about probably eight months of intermittent fasting, that went. And so the health benefits were really stacking up. So Aside from the weight loss, it was a pretty compelling case. And I thought to myself, I am going to do this for the rest of my life because I've never felt like this ever. Wow. I just love that you emphasize that, yes, you had had results on the scale. And yet these other things were so substantial. I mean, eyesight, your skin, your, your psoriasis, and then I mean, your arthritis, your achiness. I mean, those. And so that really probably helped you during that time where you were like stalled, say, it's okay. I'm seeing all these other benefits. And I think that's why intermittent fasting is such, you have, it's such a different mindset because I don't know if you were like this, but when I had tried other diets, it really didn't matter about the other things that I was seeing. It was just really all about that scale. So I was so focused on what the scale said and not really any non-scale victories. And it was all about results that were fast, not the ones that were ideally going to last. It might've just all been water weight. I didn't care. It was what that scale said. And I think that that is what you're hitting home. I've got to touch on that too, Bet Mindset plays a huge part. And for me, the whole journey about intermittent fasting and my transformation has been 90% mental and 10% implementation. The actual doing of intermittent fasting isn't that hard. It's actually quite simple. I mean, you fast, you feast, and then you do the same thing the next day, eat, stop, eat. So intermittent fasting itself is quite a simple process, but the mental side of it, dealing with that 
is another kettle of fish. And a mindset is something that I think you really need to work on. And for me, the game changer bet was when I started to learn to love myself first, because my problem when I had abusive food issues was I loved my addictions. I didn't love myself first. And when I started thinking about myself more positively, I started talking to myself more positively. I started acting more positively towards others. Things changed. And if you can start loving yourself, then the love that you find will flow to everything else that you do. So that really helps. Graham, can you also share a little bit, you had mentioned that, you know, early in your 20s and 30s and your reputation and and a lot of your persona was kind of being the party guy, the life of the party, the kind of the gregarious one, which usually, like you said, includes the beer and the drinking and the eating and the all the things. Can you dive into that a little bit more and share how you were able to manage that? Yeah, that was a big thing, Bet. One of the things I I spoke to my wife about was how it was going to affect our social life. We're both very social people. Well, I guess we were, um, me in particular. And I was always quite a popular sort of guy because I was always the life of the party. I was the first guy there. I was the last guy to leave. And, and people liked being around me. They gravitated towards me. And I was known as a as a as quite a big drinker, but I was always a social drinker and I was a very social person. And when I started intermittent fasting, I thought I've got to withdraw from this because I didn't know how to handle it, how to go to those social events and how not to drink and how not to do what I was doing. And I found that quite hard. And then the people that I used to do that with, they found it quite odd. And I know after I lost a lot of weight, I actually went to a pub one day. We have a big race meeting here in Australia called the Melbourne Cup. And it's a massive day here in Australia. And and we were at the pub to watch it. And there's a few guys there. And one of them said to me, oh, we're going to have a weight loss intervention. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, oh, we're concerned about the amount of weight that you're losing and the fact that you never come out with us anymore and all the rest of it. And um, they said, you're getting too skinny. You look like you got cancer and all this sort of stuff. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you drinking? And I said, look, I'm looking after my health. I'm doing this for me. And then I got a guy to take a photo of the group, four of us. And then I showed them the photo and we're all the same age. And I said, have a look at this photo. What do you see? What's standing out for you? Who looks the healthiest? And they looked at each other. And about three days later, Two of those guys rang me and they said, hey, look, you actually look amazing. We want to know about this intermittent fasting. And now they're both doing it. And so at the start of my journey, I got a fair bit of kickback from people because I wasn't being social and I found that really hard. I know my wife found that hard and we weren't going out as much. And I had to learn the mantra, feast without fear, in terms of going out to restaurants and things like that. I never went to a restaurant for about Oh, I suppose the first three or four months because I was afraid how I was going to handle that and I wasn't in control of what I was able to eat. And we went out one night to a lovely tapas bar, my wife and I, and my wife said to me, you know, I'd really love to have dessert. And I panicked a bit. I went into a panic mode. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to ruin everything when I have this dessert. Anyway, I ate the dessert and I had a complete meltdown. I got very emotional and my wife said to me, what is wrong with you? And I said, look, I said, I've done all this work and now I'm eating desserts. You know, I feel like I'm an alcoholic that's had another drink. And when you come off a base of being a sugar addict and you do things like that, it really sends you off. And then after that, I I read Jin's book, Feast Without Fear. And that message really resonated with me. And now I don't worry about things like that. I just know that if I go out and I know my weight might be up one or two or three pounds or whatever it is, but we need to be mindful of the fact if we get on the scales the next day after we've been out and we are up two or three pounds, we're not putting on two or three pounds of fat. You can't put on two or three pounds of fat overnight. You basically got water retention from the extra volume of food that you're having. And if you go back to your normal intermittent fasting protocol, in a day or two, that will be gone. So the mindset shift is so important and that loving yourself first for me, that was the real key and a turning point and thinking about yourself. I used to wake up in the morning and I made a habit bet of three affirmations where I'd say three nice things about myself, about what I was going to do, what I was going to achieve, and I'd get out of bed 
and I'd just get myself in a better mindset to start the day. A lot of people wonder why we named this podcast Living Your Big Bold Life. And I think a lot of what you're saying is that you had to be bold enough in quite a few areas. You had to be bold enough to shift your mindset, to start loving yourself and realizing you're not just worthy of good food. You're worthy of being healthy and being the best version of yourself. And you had to be bold to say, you know what? Yes, I was kind of the life of the party and that was a lot of who I who I was, but now my health needs to be more of a priority and I can still be grim, but I am going to be bold enough to challenge, which can be really hard when you're around your friends and in a really social situation. I just I think that's so so impressive and so important for everyone to hear. Yeah, it is. And I, I think your friends sort of, um, they come to terms with it after a while. And that's what I find about intermittent fasting. The people that give you flux at the start and they sort of get on your back a bit about it. that. I would say I know probably eight or 10 people that used to be very negative about intermittent fasting and about my journey that actually, once they start seeing your results, and that's another thing I wanted to stress to people is when you first start, sort of, I took the stand that I wasn't going to shout it from the rooftops that I started this intermittent fasting because I thought I'd show with my results. And I had a saying, I'm going to walk the walk and not talk the talk. And then when my results came, People used to get interested and they'd start asking me. And then when I got more and more dramatic, people really started getting interested and then more people started. And I think over the sort of two and a half years that I've been fasting now, I would say I've directly probably got over 50 people involved with intermittent fasting and quite a few of them were negative or there were people that just followed my journey. So that's been worth it too, you know, to find other people that have joined it and I see their health benefits. And I saw a guy the other day, he's a farmer and um, he'd lost a tremendous amount of weight. He'd reversed his diabetes. He was off all his medication and his wife was just ecstatic. And to me, that just warmed my heart. And I know that you probably have changed a lot of people's lives too, Bet. Um, I know how you operate and it's a great feeling, isn't it? It really is. And, you know, someone shared with me that critics are just admirers with a different way of showing it. And I think that a lot of times when people see changes in you, even your close friends or family, sometimes they just don't know how to verbalize it. So their way is kind of to say, oh, we're concerned about you or we're this about you. But then so often I have found the same thing. They're the same ones that come back later and say, oh, uh, tell me a little bit more about this or tell you seem different. You seem more alive. What is going on? I know you're losing weight and I know you're doing this, but gosh, that's been a, one of the best parts of this podcast and and our Facebook group Motivate with My Betty Lou is just really seeing the difference that you don't even sometimes realize you're making. And I'm going to share with you a, a story. So I have a, a, a person in our industry and his wife is in our group and she's kind of more quiet and really has been a member of the group, never posts, never does anything. And then after about a year, she just sent me a note and it was a private message and it made me want to cry. And just all the ways the group has changed her life, the differences in her health. And I think that that's really important too is, Graham, you probably have no idea the life, the lives you're changing just by your example. And some people are never probably even going to verbalize that to you. But I think that's the power and the impact we have when we make healthier choices and we're being the best versions of ourselves, people want to emulate that. Hey, what what's what's Graham doing? What's you know? Yeah, it's the um the passion to share is something that I found once I got to my goal weight. I sort of said to my wife, look, if I can prove I can maintain my weight for over a year, which I have done now, I'm going to really start moving into the sharing my journey because I want others to have what I have. And just to sort of touch more about the weight loss, um, I did lose that 100 pounds within the first year. The total weight loss was 132 pounds. And when I got to my goal weight after 15 months of 23 and 1, I just couldn't believe it. And I shifted the goal down a few times. I originally set my goal weight at about 118 kilos, which is 240-odd pounds. And I'm a great rugby fan, bet, of the my favorite teams, the New Zealand All Blacks, who I followed around the world a bit. And um, 
I love these guys and the big, strong, fit men, six foot five. I'm a tall guy. I'm six foot five. So 240 pounds on me was a what I thought was a fairly good weight. And then when I got down to that, I was looking super fit. I was looking built. I was looking more athletic. And then I sort of thought, well, you know what? I could probably lose a little bit more because I was conscious of the fact that I was going into my 60s and I thought I'm 57 now and I need to be as light as I possibly can so I can avoid some of the aging sort of factors. And so I moved the goal down to 112 and I met that. I moved it down to 107, I I met that. And then I thought, I'm gonna dare to dream here. I'm gonna try and crack the 100 kilos, which is 220 pounds uh, for you guys. And then I got down to 99.9 kilos uh, one morning and I just broke down and wept openly. I, I couldn't believe it that I was under 100 kilos or 220 pounds, which is six foot five is fairly lean. And since then, since I've been in maintenance over a year, my weight hasn't varied any more than between two and four pounds. I've kept it in that range. And I've found what my protocol now is in maintenance bet. I do a 22 and two Monday to Friday. And then on the weekends, I do a 16 and eight. And that has allowed the social side of things to open up a wee bit more. I can go to brunch with my beautiful wife, who I love dearly. And um, and I've got to say, just mentioning my wife. And I know I talk about her a lot because she's been a huge part of my journey and without her love and support. And I just want to say to anybody that's out there listening, support your partners, or I really hope your partners support you because it's an integral part. And without my wife, I would never have got to where I was. She supported me every step of the way and she's just incredible. But one of the things I also wanted to stress, Bet, when I talked about sugar and fast food addiction You've really got to make the distinction too between addiction and moderation. And I don't want to demonize anybody that has sugar or fast food because, you know, some people have cake, some people have sodas or whatever, but they don't sit there and have the whole cake and they don't sit there and have 10 sodas a day. So that needs to be an important distinction for people that there is moderation. And that's sort of where I've found it. But I've found that my tastes have changed so much that I just can't stand the thought of having sugary things now. And it's just changed. When you're earlier in your health journey, you may need to restrict a little bit more and you may need to be a little bit more quote unquote conservative. And that may mean with sugar, that may mean with carbs, that may mean alcohol, whatever that is, because our goal, we really need to get our blood sugars down and our insulin down. We really need to get to a healthier spot. And sometimes some people can do it without restricting those things in the beginning. But I find a lot of us on our health journey in the earlier part of it, we did have to have times where we had to refrain. And now very similar to your journey, you've been able to maybe introduce a few more things or similarly, your weekends are a little bit more you know, wider window, you're doing a 16-8 on the weekends instead of the 22-2 and two that you do during the week. That's important bit because you've got to make this sustainable. So when you do get to maintenance, I say to people that I help, look, if you're getting close or even if you're not close, if you're a few months away, start drawing up a plan because maintaining is a different mindset totally to losing the weight. Because when you get to that goal weight and you're maintaining and you decide that you're going to intermittent fast for the rest of your life, you have to make it as sustainable as possible. So in order to do that, you have to work out what is it that I actually want to do. And for me, the weekends are very special. I love sharing them with my wife and my family. I have two two daughters. My wife has two children as well. And we love sharing time with them. And so that sort of flexibility enables me to do that. So I think if you draw up a plan, what are you going to do? But I also wanted to talk about exercise. I know a lot of people probably want to know what exercise I did. Um, Initially in that first year, very little. We have an acreage property here um, where we look after some horses my wife rides. So we're always doing something. But in terms of aerobic exercise, when I was very obese, I used to hate exercise bet with a passion because it was such a drag. And I'm pretty sure that's why I failed so many diets that involved exercise because I just give up. It was just too hard. But when I got the weight off and I had the sort of mindset of I'm going to focus on my food, I'm going to focus on these addictions, get rid of them first, 
then turn my food choices around and then start exercising. And I started walking and then I went down and started swimming. And bet I'm not ashamed to admit that I couldn't swim to save my life, even though I live in Australia near the ocean. And I went down to the Olympic pool. I, I, the coach said, okay, show me what you've got. And I couldn't swim half a lap. And so she said, that's okay, we'll work on that. And she trained me up. And within six months, I was doing 30, 40 laps of an Olympic pool, fully fasted. I used to go down there first thing in the morning. And then I started walking. I got up to three, five, six Ks a day. And one day I was out walking and it was like a scene from Forrest Gump. I just started breaking out into a run. And I couldn't believe it, Bet, that I could actually run all my life, I'd been so obese, I couldn't run. And I kept running and kept running. And pretty soon I'd run about a kilometer. And it was one of the most emotional moments of this journey when I actually felt free that I could run. Your transition from I hate exercise to and really not even being able to swim to then being at that point. And so are you are you still uh, swimming or running? What's kind of your exercise look like today? Yeah, so I still do a lot of walking. Um, I also swim in the summer. I'm just about to restart our program. We're just coming into our summer months here. So the, the local pool opens down the road in October. So I'm going to sign up for the whole season this year and I'll probably swim every second day. Uh, I've got a rowing machine here that I use, but I absolutely love it now. And I feel that's really helped me in maintenance as well. It's just been the whole mindset shift and now I'm healthy, I'm fit, and it's fun. I mean, when you don't have that weight hanging off you, you actually feel like going for a walk. You actually feel like going down for a swim. And I can go down to the pool now. I mean, the reason I never used to go to the pool, I, I was embarrassed to take my shirt off bet when I was obese. And I, I had a beach house at the beach and for a long time, and I never walked around on the beach without a shirt on. I was just so embarrassed of my body and my size. And, and now I sort of love it, to be honest. And I go down there and I don't have any fear of that. And I just find that so freeing. And the whole thing about finding clothes now that I can fit and uh, shopping wherever I like. And obesity used to choose my clothes and now I do. And um, I'm able to go to a normal menswear shop and go to label shops and I've spent an absolute fortune on clothes. Uh, my wife will attest to that. But, uh, and, you know, I say to people too, and that's very important message bit about clothing. I don't know how you feel about that, but when clothes started getting big on me, I had a mindset. I needed to get them out to the charity store straight away. I didn't keep them sticking around because for years and years, I'd kept all these piles of clothes every time I'd been on the diet because I knew that I was going to slip up and I was going to need those clothes. But with intermittent fasting, I was that confident that it was going to be sustainable. Every time I went down a clothes size, I mean, I had a 46-inch waist when I started, and I'm sitting here talking to you now in a 34-inch pair of jeans. And I went down probably four wardrobes. Uh, I wear suits for work. I had to buy three or four um, nice suits. They cost a lot of money. And yeah, it's just been very freeing not having to shop in those big and tall and plus stores, as, as a lot of people out there probably know. I used to save my old clothes. Like, oh, I, I could never feel like I could give away anytime I went down a size. And I, like you, it was like this freeing moment where I knew I didn't need those bigger sizes anymore. I just knew it. It was like the first time where I was seeing results that lasted. It's really plays with your mind because for years, many of us, we try things, they worked for a while, and then we'd gain the weight back. We were so used to that yo-yo. Graham, tell the listeners today a little bit more about how to connect with you and how to find you and hear more about your journey. Sure. Uh, well, they can check me out on Instagram. I'm uh, Graham Curry underscore 63. There's a whole heap of my before and after photos on there. And I try to post something, you know, try to encourage people a couple of times a week through there. I'm a member of the Delay Don't Deny Facebook groups um, with Jen Stevens and I also have a podcast, as Bet pointed out, it's called The Fasting Highway. It's uh, fairly you. I'm only up to five episodes. I've got uh, number six coming out this week. And congratulate you, Bet, on this podcast. I think it's fantastic and you're doing a great job. But it's the thing I wanted to do to try and share my passion with others. Uh, I wanted to free roll a couple of episodes on my own and give some sort of words of motivation, but also interview other people that are amazing and done such a great job. And I've had people on there that have only lost five pounds. I've had people on there that have lost 140 pounds. And I love chatting to everybody. 
body and healing about uh, hearing about the healing of intermittent fasting as well. And I'm also uh, I wrote a book uh, of the same name, The Fasting Highway, which is just going through the final edit stage now. And The Fasting Highway will be out on Amazon late next month. And I really didn't write a book about how to intermittent fast because let's face it, after Jin's latest book, uh, Fast Feast Repeat, anyone that's writing an intermittent fasting guide's got to be pushing it a bit. But I really wanted to talk about how I overcame my addictions, the mindset, the mental part, a lot leading up to, um, I suppose it's part memoir, part how I did it, how I sustained it was a big one, uh, the maintenance phase, and also what life, life is like post-obesity. Because when somebody's been obese and then you walk that road to normality, it's a whole new world and people treat you so differently. And I think anybody that's been obese and then transforms will know what I'm talking about. And I really struggle with that bit. It's been something I've struggled with since I've been a normal sized man is how people communicate to me, how they talk to me and how they treat. And I just sit there and I say to them, wonder why you didn't treat me like that when I was obese? Why why are you treating me so well now and you wouldn't give me the time of day before? So that's a really tricky thing to deal with. It is. Well, Go check out Graham's podcast. It's fabulous. As you can tell, he's just a wonderful storyteller and uh, has so much inspiration and motivation to share. So Graham, I always like to end the podcast by having our guests share one last piece of bold advice that our listeners can take with them today. Love yourself first. That's the most important thing. Start thinking of yourself in a positive way every day. And if you are struggling, then find a way to do a self-examination and be honest with yourself and get a checklist and start going through it about what you can do to try and improve the situation. Are you fasting clean? Can your window choices be better? Tweak. Do I need to restrict anything? Just do a real honest self-assessment. But most of all, clean fast, trust the process, and the results will come. Love yourself first and the results will come. Graham, cheers to you and living your big, bold life. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Bet, and I love everything you do. And uh, my regards to everybody there, and I hope the fires get under control and I love your country. It's fantastic. Cheers. Thank you for listening today. For more information, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and my new website, BetLucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.